All right. Hey, real quick, that um, Night of Biblical Conversations is next Sunday evening here. Um, just to paint a picture, if you haven't been to those before, we didn't do it during Deuteronomy, but we did it before then a couple times uh, in the previous series. This is uh, intended to be a time where we've, by, by the end of today, or by the end of next week, we will have gotten through all of chapter 2 of Matthew, and I think we will have started chapter 3. So anything that we've covered up to that point, the goal would be that's the kind of stuff that we go back and look at. Um, if there's anything that has been raised in the sermons or things that um, you and your study have come across in those sermon texts, right, then that's the kind of stuff we want to, to be able to dig into. Um, if you have questions, bring those. I'm going to tell you now, if you have questions already and you want to send those to me, yours will probably be the first ones we start with. Otherwise, it's whoever asks first and however long that takes until the two-hour mark is done, okay? Um, but that's the goal. And it's not Bible answer time. I'm going to be saying, I don't know a lot. And I'm looking forward to saying, I don't know a lot. What do you think? Right? But the, the goal is, just, let's dig deeper. Let's maybe get into some of the stuff that I don't go into during a sermon because of time or it's not intended to be the time to go into that. That's the, the opportunity for that. All right. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to finish the, the chapter out this morning with a few verses. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. If you need a Bible, there's some on the chairs there around you. You may have to look a few rows. I was glancing this morning. They're pretty spread out at this point. So you may have to look a few rows to find one. But if you're using those Bibles, page 632. Or if the Bible that you're using from the chairs has a flame on it, page 808. 808. All right, Matthew chapter 2. Um, as you are turning there, I've got a... Mm, confrontational question to ask you this morning. Confrontational. Do you expect God to speak to you? Do you expect to hear from him? If I go even further, do you expect that God can speak to you, that God can speak to you, through dreams. Do you expect for God to speak to you through dreams? Mm -hmm. And if I go one more question and I ask you, this is rhetorical, how do we know the will of God for our lives? How do we know the specific will? Not the general will that, that I can point to in all the scripture for every person, but how do I know God's leading in my life as I'm trying to make decisions? I'm trying to, 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 to discern, is this the right way to go? Is this the right way to go? Whether that's moving jobs, relationships, schooling, um, whatever the case may be. How do I know God's will? And what are some of those ways that I might discern that? This morning on a very human level, we're going to see those kind of things taking place in the verses that we're looking at. God leading a family. They're real people, Joseph, Mary, and their, their young son, Jesus. They're real people. They're not perfect. They, they didn't have um, any kind of supernatural advantage uh, as people than, than that any other person would have. Now, they had received lots of dreams up to this point. They're going to receive more, but we're going to see a real family having to pick up and move like we saw last week, live in a place that's not their home, pick up and move again once the time is right to move back, but not go back to their home, but go settle someplace else. And all of this is going to come about because they expected God to communicate with them. They expected to hear from him, 
And they expected that to come through dreams as part of the way that he does that. And now the other thing that we're going to see as, as all is taking place is on that human level, that all takes place. And yet, with all of the decisions that have to be made in something like it's time to move, we're not settling here, we're settling here, none of God's sovereign plan, none of God's sovereign purpose was messed up. In fact, all of it was done according to his sovereign purpose. And so here's where we're going this morning. The creator God brings about the fulfillment of his promises through his sovereign hand. Now, when you read something like that, the creator God brings about the fulfillment of his promises through his sovereign hand, you, you might immediately go, well, then I don't make any choices. I don't have any say. But what I'm going to show you this morning is very, very clearly in the text, both are true. Both are true. There's real choices that are made. They're meaningful. They're not artificial. They're not superficial. And yet, as, as we make real choices, as we respond, as we, as we live out in, in, in a relationship with God, before God, we make real choices, and yet, everything falls under the sovereign hand of God. So look with me. I'm going to start with verse 19. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Now, up to this point in Matthew, if you include this verse right here where an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, this is now the fourth time in Matthew's gospel that God has communicated through a dream. In just a few other verses, we're going to look at it in a minute, it's going to make number five, that God communicates through a dream. In fact, if you were to look through all the gospel of Matthew, you'll find an additional other place in chapter 27 where he uses a dream to communicate. In fact, let me, let me, let me, let me just show you. Um, first off, last week we saw that he says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream in, in jo uh, he's in Egypt. He got to Egypt last week in the verses we were looking at because a dream, uh, God in a dream told him to go there. Now, I told you last week that the, the life of Jesus is very intentionally paralleling the life of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We'll find other places where he, he's very intentionally paralleling the life of Adam, and then also Moses, the people of Israel. All of this gets tied together. But I wanted to show you one of these places that a similar person went down to Egypt by a similar means. This is back in Genesis chapter 46, when Jacob, who got renamed Israel... Remember, his, old, uh, his son Joseph was in Egypt, and he became second in command, and there was going to be a famine. And so the people, uh, Jacob and his family, moved to, to, to Egypt. Look how that took place. Genesis 46, verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. Dreams. When the scriptures talk about dreams, it means God has given you a vision while you're sleeping. If the scripture talks about visions, he's giving you a vision while you're awake. But sometimes it says visions of the night, which is another way of saying dreams. Right? So Jacob has this dream, which if you're doing the reading plan, you'll see that he's not, for, he's not unfamiliar with dreams. He had some earlier in his life. He's got a vision of the night, and he says in that vision of the night, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. 
and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. So here Jacob is receiving a dream, telling him, go down to Egypt, don't be afraid to do that, and I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt. Jesus and his family now have found themselves in Egypt because Joseph, Jesus' adopted dad, so to speak, or his, his, um, his, you know, he's not the biological dad, but he's going to take responsibility for him here, right? So he's received a dream that says, take your family down to Egypt because someone's seeking to kill him. They're trying to take his life. And he got that revelation through a dream. Now he's going to receive a dream, as we, as we saw in our verse here, that's telling him it's time to go back. So, but let me just show you Matthew now. The first dream we saw in Matthew showed up in chapter 1, verse 20. As he considered these things, Joseph, because he found out Mary was pregnant and he didn't know what to do with that because he knew he was not involved. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The next time we saw a dream in Matthew was chapter 2, verse 12. Again, to Joseph, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. I'm sorry, these are the the wise men. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This one's to, to, to Joseph, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. The one we're going to look at in just a moment. But when, he, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Later on in our verses this morning, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And then if you jumped all the way to the end of Matthew, there's another place where a dream shows up. Chapter 27, verse 19, this is now Jesus is on trial and Pontius Pilate is deciding what to do with him. And Pontius Pilate's wife gets involved. Besides, he says, while, sitting, he, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, Pontius Pilate's wife, sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So Matthew at least in his gospel, puts a a great emphasis on God leading, speaking, communicating through dreams. It's key. If you were to go through, I did this this week, it's fun, and and if you're looking and you have time to do this, you might enjoy this too, go through and look up the word dream to start with and go through all the scriptures. You can do this with a a concordance. If you're using a, a physical copy, then you look up the word dream and it'll tell you all the places where it is and go look up all those places, read the before and afters. Or you can go to BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.org and type in dream and search the whole scriptures. And then go and look at all the context of where dreams. And what you will do as you do that is you'll see all the different places that God uses dreams to communicate. And then you'll also start to learn, well, what are some of those ways he communicates through dreams? Then you'll want to go a little further to catch some of the outliers, and you'll want to put in visions. And then what you're going to want to do with visions is you're going to want to go and find the ones that talk about visions of the night, and then you'll know that's also a dream. Now, as you do that, what you're going to find, I think, is that there's a few things that that we can learn about how God has used dreams throughout the scriptures. One, and we see that here this morning, is one of the things that God does in dreams is, is he communicates a warning to people. He warns people of impending judgment, um, impending doom. If you continue on the course that you're on, this is what's going to happen. He warns so that they can take alternative action. 
Another thing that God does in dreams is he reveals himself. He reveals his identity or he reveals himself in such a way that assures the person he's revealing himself to of his presence, his nearness with them. That's what took place with Jacob if you're doing the reading plan. So he can warn people. He can reveal his identity or assure of his presence. Um, there's some places where dreams are used um, to, 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 on a national level, to predict on that or to reveal on a national level what's going to take place. And so you'll find some dreams like that. You'll also find for individuals, dreams are used to provide direction and guidance so that a person knows in their case what to do. We often talk about discerning the will of God and what is his will, and you can learn a lot about God's will, a high percentage. Let's just throw out a statistic and say 90%. You can find out 90% of what God's will is for your life if you would just study the scriptures. But when we talk about the specific or the personal will, we're talking about, should I buy this house or that house? You can't find that in scripture. Should I go to this school or that school? You won't find that in scripture. Should I marry this person or that person if you're fortunate to have a choice, right? Um, should, should I go this way or that way, right? Those are the kinds of things that oftentimes when someone's saying, I don't know what God's will for my life is, those are the kinds of things we're wrestling with. Those are the kinds of things that we also see in scripture that, that, that God provides specific leading and guiding that's personal to the individual. You can do that. The last thing about dreams that, that stood out to me was that it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Whether you worship God or not, God can still communicate in dreams through that, through that mean to that person. So there's places where you'll see uh, unbelievers receive dreams. Now, usually when an unbeliever receives a dream, like what we just saw with Pontius Pilate, it's a warning. We see that with Abimelech also in Genesis uh, chapter 20, I can't remember now. Um, but, but you'll find that the unbelievers, those who do not worship God, sometimes he will reveal himself through those dreams as a warning. Don't go past this point. Don't do this. Right? All right. Those are some things you might find out about dreams. Dreams are significant. The other thing to keep in mind about dreams is in Acts chapter 2, Peter, on this sermon that he gives, he quotes from the prophet Joel. Joel talks about the last days. Now, we're in the last days. Ever since Jesus died on the cross and the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we're in those last days. Do not confuse last days with end times necessarily. Those two, they get confusing. Don't, don't, don't include those things. Ever since the New Testament was being written, we're in the last days. Joel the prophet says, in those last days, the Spirit's going to be poured out on every person, no discrimination of gender or, or, or age or, or any kind of social class. The Spirit's going to be poured out, and the result is going to be dreams and visions and prophecy. And so Peter gets up and he says, this is what's taking place. In Acts chapter 2, he gets up and he says, this is what's taking place. And so dreams and visions. The thing to keep in mind about dreams is dreams, for, dreams are, are for everyone. Not, not, not just certain people can get dreams. Dreams are for everyone. It's part of this pouring out of the Spirit. It's different from, say, spiritual gifts, where one person might have a spiritual gift, another person might have another spiritual gift, or you might have this group of spiritual gifts while this person has this group, or even that you might have this group of spiritual gifts at a certain time, but then maybe another time you get this group. Right? It's not like that. Dreams are for everyone. And you can have access to dreams at any given point at God's sovereign purpose and His will. Now, some of you don't remember dreams. We've talked about this. Now, we've, I've taken the opportunity to talk about it because it's been in the text the last few weeks. Many of you don't remember dreams. Many of you don't even look for God to speak to you through dreams. And yet, as you search the scriptures, you're going to find it's one of the, the more common ways that he speaks. And so we shouldn't move away from it. We should move into it. But we need to move into it with discernment. Not every dream that you have is from God. 
Perhaps the majority of the dreams that a person's going to have is not from God. Maybe you have dreams because you're just processing what's in your subconscious. That's absolutely a possibility and does take place. Perhaps you're having dreams because certain medications you're on are messing with chemicals in your brain and you're seeing things when you sleep. That happens too, right? There are, there are times where you have dreams and they're from God. And they're crystal clear that this was from God. Other times you're left going, I don't know if that's from God or not. Okay? Joseph's getting pretty crystal clear dreams. Most of the time our dreams are not going to be that way. But as I've mentioned with dreams or when God reveals himself, the more clearly he reveals himself, the more urgent or the weightier the responsibility is. And so if you're getting dreams, here's my, here's my opinion, my advice to you, pastorally speaking. One, ask God to speak to you through dreams. Don't be afraid of that. It's common. He, he, he would delight to do it. Ask God to speak to you through dreams. And then ask him to help you to remember your dreams. Part of the, that would be helpful in that is write them down. Because if you go too far into your morning, you're going to forget them. The other thing you can do is before you start your morning and you immediately grab your phone and start scrolling or you immediately go into something, if you can, just stop for a moment, sit up, lay there, just whatever. Did I have any dreams last night? Just take a moment. Did I have any dreams last night? Just think. Because you might, you might go into your day and never, never stop to think about it. Did I have any dreams? And if you do and you recall some of them, start writing them down. If you're not sure they're from God, then God, are these from you? Ask them. If they're from you, help me to know they're from you, and then give me understanding, because interpretations of dreams come from God as well. Right? So just ask them, speak to me through dreams, help me to know that it's you, and help me to understand what you mean, what you, what you mean through this dream. Seek wise counsel, seek, seek the advice of others as they, they hear it, maybe the Lord might help provide some understanding or interpretation through someone else. But God speaks through dreams. Now, the way we have to handle dreams is we don't put dreams, just like we wouldn't put other types of maybe God revealing himself, we don't put that on the same level of scripture. Okay? I might receive a dream, and I, I'm not going to assume every single dream is from God, and I'm going to act on every single dream. I'm testing them. Does my dream line up with scripture? Is there anything about this dream that contradicts scripture? If it contradicts scripture, it's probably not from God, right? Also, there are other beings that can influence my dreams. Right? So I need to be discerning. Is that dream from the God of the, the Bible, the creator, or is that from something he created? Right? I need to be discerning of that. Okay? But as I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test it. If it's Usually, though, a dream is something like, you know, I had a dream about someone. I'm not sure if they're doing okay. The dream kind of made me concerned about them. Hey, I'm just going to shoot them a text. Hey, everything okay? That may be all that God wanted you to do with that dream. Just reach out to that person. And then you find out they needed to be reached out to. Or you might find out there's some specificity to that dream that, hey, I've been praying through this. I'm not, I'm not sure if this means anything, but I don't want to pass it up if it, if it doesn't. I had a dream the other night. That's a very strange way to start a conversation. I know. I had a dream about you the other night. Right? And here's what I saw in the dream. I don't know if it's anything, but I just want to put it before you. You can pray about it. I've been praying about it. If it's nothing, it's nothing, we move on. If it is, then we've put it out there. That's how I would handle something like that. Very gently, very, very, very cautiously, but not, not out of fear, just out of wisdom. Okay? Dreams are significant in, this, in the story of the coming of the Messiah. When Herod died. Now, here's the other thing I want to say to you. We've got, we've got Joseph and his family who have been in Egypt, maybe about a year or so. We don't really know. It depends on, on the age of Jesus uh, when they went down there. Herod died in 4 BC. We know that. But they've been living in a place, forced to go, because Herod was seeking to kill Jesus. Joseph finds himself in a foreign country, in a foreign land, 
And he's not sure when he gets to go back home. He's totally dependent upon the God who speaks. He's totally dependent upon the God who speaks. He has no clue. He had no clue Herod was going to kill Jesus if he didn't leave. He has no clue when it's time to go back. He is totally dependent upon the God who speaks because the God who speaks knows things that you and I don't know. And there, there are things that he can reveal to us at his own purposes, at his own time, but we are utterly dependent upon him to reveal them to us in order to make some of the decisions that we make or to go down the path that we're going to go. We are dependent on God being a God who speaks. And good thing he's a God who speaks because from the very first verse in our Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And the way that he creates it was, he speaks. He speaks. He's never stopped speaking. But Joseph is down in, 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 in Egypt, and he's, he's just waiting. He's waiting for God to say, now, it's time to go. And he doesn't necessarily even know when that's going to be. Some of you might find yourselves in a, let's say, similar place. You're in a place of waiting. You're in a place of exile. You're in a place where it's not comfortable for you. It's not where you want to be. It's not where you think you maybe should be or where you will eventually be, but you're there and you're waiting because of some reason and you're waiting for someone or something to die. You're waiting on someone or something to die. Whatever it is that was blocking you, whatever it is that was coming against you, whatever it is that's threatening you, you're waiting for that moment when God's able to say to you, it's clear now. This thing that, that was the obstacle, this, this person, some of you have people in your lives that are controlling your life. They have people in your lives that they, they carry a shadow that they project over you. And while it sounds harsh and you would never wish it upon them, you are saying, sometimes God, it seems like it'd be easier if. And some of you have even experienced this very harsh sounding thing that when someone who was in your life died, you experienced a level of freedom that you had never experienced before. You were able to come into the light in a way that you never experienced before because that which was darkness, which was hanging over you, was removed. That's where Joseph is. And he's utterly dependent upon the Lord speaking to him, guiding him. We have to know his voice. I have to know his voice. So he says, Herod has died. Those who are seeking the life of your son, they have died. And so he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Sometimes when we find ourselves in exile, in places where it's not comfortable, it's foreign to us, it's not where we're going to be, it's temporary, it may, it may take from us the security that we think we need to have. When I'm in exile, I'm in a place where it's foreign to me. It's not where I think I need to be or I'm supposed to be, but it's temporary and it's where I find myself. It takes from me the security that I think I need to have. But if you are walking in accordance with the will of God, you are more secure there, regardless of your physical location, regardless of your circumstances. You are more secure, more secure in the hand of God than you are if you tried to manage it your own way. So he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. Verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. All right, here's where we see this tension of human responsibility and God's sovereignty coming and rubbing up together. It's a both and situation, not an either or situation. Remember, I'm driving this home every chance I get. We come to the scriptures as people who are influenced by the way of thinking that we are influenced by, by the, by the type of education we have. We're very Western in our logic and in the way we think. We think either something is true or something else is true, but we can't see things that are both and. I'm not saying that opposite can be, be true and contradict one. I'm not talking postmodernism or relative truth. I'm talking about in the divine realm, in the creation of God, there are some things that in our finite, limited human understanding, we can't reconcile. And they are both true, even though we don't understand them. And this is one of those, that people make real, meaningful choices. We are responsible and held responsible for God, and yet God is sovereign. He's not learning. He doesn't need to try to understand. He doesn't need to be taught. He's never caught off guard. He's never surprised. Okay? And we see this tension here. So Joseph's on his way back to the land of Israel. When he starts to head towards his hometown he, in, in the region of Judea, he realizes that the son of Herod, Archelaus, is reigning. He's heard some things about Archelaus. He's not a good man. He's likely going to carry out the same agenda as his father. And so he is afraid. That's the human side. He's not been told anything up to this point. He's heard some things, and now he's afraid. But then that fear gets confirmed in a dream. He was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew. So here we have, we have Joseph experiencing very real human moments. I hear what's going on. I hear who's there. I'm afraid to go there. Then God reveals himself once again in a dream, confirms, don't go there. Both are true. People make real, meaningful choices. They are responsible before God, and yet God is sovereign, and our choices do not mess up his purpose or his plan. In fact, they all fall in line with his sovereign purpose and plan. We go on, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Now I'm going to show you this map. Sometimes maps are helpful, sometimes they're not, but we keep talking about all these places. This is the area of Israel. This down here is the continent of Africa and the place that's Egypt. So we just see Joseph moving. Here's Bethlehem uh, um, right below Jerusalem. That's where he was. He flees down to Egypt here. We don't know if it was Memphis or not. The map says Memphis. It may not have been. I've read something this week that said it could have been Alexandria. There's a well-known synagogue there. But anyway, either way, he went somewhere down in Egypt. He's there. And then on his way back, he's going to go back. But he was not going to go back to Bethlehem. Instead, he's going to go all the way up here to a place called Nazareth. Here's the zoomed-in version of that. He's not going back where he left. Said now he's going to go all the way up here to the region of Galilee to a place called Nazareth. That's, that's the choice he's making. That's the, that's the place he lands. But then Matthew tells us something. Matthew tells us he was warned in a dream. He withdrew uh, to the district of Galilee. Okay? Real choices, human events taking place. But look at verse 23. He went and he lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. See, Joseph 
is not making these decisions going, what can I do in order to fill a, prof- a prophecy for my son that people will understand he's the Messiah? He's not doing that. Some of these things, as a good educated Jew, he would be aware of some prophecies about the Messiah. This one, I guarantee you, he was not likely aware of. He's not making choices so that he can orchestrate things. But as he's making choices, part of that is being directly led by God, other times indirectly, yet all of that's falling under the sovereign hand of God so that Matthew can say, by the way, him going to live in Nazareth, it was so that something spoken of the prophets would be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, this is a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. We can get into this next Sunday evening if you want to. I'm just going to tell you where I've landed at this point. Ask me tomorrow. It may be a different spot. Okay, it's that loose of a, of a thing. There is some good discussion on at least two out of three, three of these things. Nazarene, um, that word's misleading as it gets translated because then we immediately go and we think about Nazarenes that we know, Nazarenes like Samson or a Nazarite vow. Not talking about that. Don't see anything in scripture about that. The Hebrew word or, or the name of the, the town, Nazareth, sounds like something. Now, I've talked to you before about how, how uh, Matthew is a Hebrew and how rabbis, when they would write or when they would interpret things, there's four different levels at which they would interpret. We talked about two of them so far. I'm going to introduce you to a third one this morning to help us understand this. One, Peshat, simple, plain. Read the text as it is in its historical grammatical context. That's what we typically will do. That's what you should do first. The second one we talked about last week was remez. It means a hint. There's a hint somewhere in the text that points to something maybe that's future or that's beyond that moment. The author may or may not be aware of it, but it's a hint. It's, a, it's called remez. The third one that I'm going to introduce you to today is called drosh, D-R-A-S-H, or sometimes called midrash. And this gets into, it's more like application or a sermon illustration where you take something and you go, That makes me think of this in our situation, and then you build on it. Or you pull things together and you go, this all helps us think through this, okay? Again, whether we agree or not with it, this is how rabbis wrote, this is how rabbis interpret it, this is how Matthew would have written, and how Matthew would have understood things. It helps us to understand. I think Matthew is using that third element here, the midrash or the drash, where he's pulling some things together. Notice it says... Um, It was spoken by the prophets. Up to this point, whenever Matthew says something was fulfilled, he gave us the specific prophet, or he gave us a specific location. Here he doesn't. Here he says this was spoken by the prophets, plural. But you're going to be hard-pressed to go and find a place where it says that the Messiah was going to be called a Natsrati. That's what it would have been in Hebrew, Natsrati. Sounds like Natsaret, right? You'd be hard-pressed to find a place where it says he's going to be called a Natsrati or um, a Natser. There's, there's one place where it would say Natser, but it, 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 it's, it's hard to find places where, where Matthew could say, that's what I'm looking at. Here's where I'm at this morning. Here's what I think that Jesus, or that Matthew is doing. If you went to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 45, Jesus finds Nathanael sitting uh, under a tree. Philip found Nathanael, said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Okay, there, was a, there was an understanding that if you grew up in Nazareth or you came from Nazareth, you were despised, you were rejected, you could not be good. Right? I've, I've <laughs> this is going to get real close to home. Nobody in this room is saying this, but we all just know this is what is said. Is that fair? Can we just say it like that? That we just know that this is what is said. If you're from other towns outside of El Reno, you have a name for El Reno. It's called El Ghetto. 
I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that gets said. If you don't come from El Reno, someone might go, oh, you come from El Ghetto. Okay, that's the kind of thing. Don't be offended. That's just rumors. That's just what I've heard. Okay, none of you are ghetto. All right, but that's what it would be like coming from Nazareth. Despised reputation. Only a certain type of person comes from Nazareth. Philip expresses that sentiment. I think Matthew's picking up on that very idea from the scriptures. Because we do have places, the word Nazrati would be someone who is despised or rejected. Someone who is looked down upon. And it says he will be called a Nazrati. It gets translated Nazarene, but I said, but I said to you that, that that word can be misleading because of other places where the word Nazarene shows up. He will be called a Nazrati, a despised or rejected one. Look at, look at Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7, a psalm that points us to the Messiah. I am worn and not a man. I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. It sounds like someone who is despised and rejected, looked down upon. We read through this one for communion, but this is Isaiah 53. I'm going to go ahead and skip to this part here. Isaiah 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. I think what Matthew is doing here is he's taking some of these places from the Old Testament scriptures, which would have been his scriptures, right? He's just taking them and he's going, something else that is said about, a, about our Messiah is he's going to be despised, rejected, looked down upon. When he ended up moving to Nazareth, Matthew knows the reputation of Nazareth. He knows what's said, and he's going, oh, that also fits something that God said our Messiah would do. He'd be looked down upon. And so by him going to live in Nazareth, now the Messiah will carry with him a reputation, humanly speaking, where he's despised and rejected. He's looked down upon. And doesn't that just fit our God? How he doesn't bring the Messiah in the way that everyone was expecting him to come. He didn't bring him in a way that was so clearly obvious according to their expectations, according to our expectations. Instead, he's coming exactly as God said he would and how he, how he um, prophesied that he would. And yet people have their own expectations of how God should do things and what he should do, when he should do it. And yet God lets his, his son go grow up in a town where he would be looked down upon when he came out of it, where his reputation, he would now have to overcome the reputation of his hometown, the place where he grew up. He was humble, and he came from a humble place, and God could have gone about this a very different way. And yet through all of this, what we're seeing is the creator God brings about the fulfillment of his promises through his sovereign hand. Nothing about the life of Jesus is on accident. Nothing about your life is on accident. If God is truly sovereign, there is nothing that happens that he is unaware of. There's nothing that happens that takes him by surprise. He's not learning with you. He's not trying to understand things with you. He knows it all. And for the believer, that should be a source of comfort. It's hard at times, no doubt. It leaves us with questions at times, no doubt. And yet, underlying all of that is, I may not know the answer. I may not understand this about you, God, at this moment. And yet, 
And yet, I know how you've revealed yourself. Which is why when we were singing, you're worthy of it all, I said, you know, it might be hard to sing that if you've got things going on in your life or you've had things that might be like a wall for you. Those are the kinds of things when that wall is there where we say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened, why we're going through this. And yet, and yet, I can see in verses like this, there's things that are happening and yet you're overseeing all of that ultimately for your purposes. So that becomes a a source of comfort for us. So I've kept you long, Father. Would you let your spirit now come and bring understanding to us? Both understanding of these few verses that we looked at. If I've taught anything that's wrong, then God, would you block our ears from it and guide us into truth so that it might be, we might grow in our understanding. We want to seek you and pursue you that we might find you. That's the invitation that you've given us. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. Ask and it will be given to you. God, that's what we want. That's what we're doing. We do it imperfectly. And yet we do it with intention. We want to know you. So would you continue to teach us by your spirit this morning? And then would you show us how do the, the things that we're looking at, what are you saying to us through that? How are you speaking? How are you guiding us? And then, God, I'm asking that you would, you would let your spirit bring dreams to people in this room or who are listening to this. Bring dreams to them. That they might know that they are dreams from you. That they might then seek to understand them more clearly. That they might seek you. That you might lead and guide your people in specific ways for your glory so that others might even see it and be drawn to you by dreams and visions. Lord, would you increase dreams among your people here? Father, would you infuse hope within us? Where there's hopelessness, would you encourage the discouraged? Would you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake? Before we dismiss, I want to invite our prayer team, if you'll go ahead and grab some lanyards, make your way up front here. We're going to have a few folks available to pray with you right after the service. Anything you want prayer about, uh, healing for sicknesses, diseases, direction in life, you've got questions about what it means to trust in Jesus, those are all things that they're prepared and ready to visit or pray with you about. And so you guys can make your way up front. Now may Yohavah bless you and keep you. May Yohavah make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May your Father lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Amen. See you next week.